You know, these are um, critical times in our world. Syria, Iran, Iraq, Ukraine, all over the world. These are perilous, perilous times. You say, well, I wonder if it'll ever come to America. Uh, can I say something? I heard this out in the foyer. A lady came up to me and said, Brother Fred, my children have just been assigned to Fort Bliss in Texas. And they've been under lockdown since Thursday because they discovered an ISIS group in that, in that uh, military compound. That's pretty close to home, isn't it? So, folks, we need to pray. But most of all, we just need to cry out to God to come and visit us. And we will pray for these people. They're still under lockdown. Evidently, they've not discovered all that's a part of it. And we'll pray for them. I want to speak to you today about bring back the glory. Bring back the glory. You know, the ark of God had such a significant place in the Old Testament and even today. The Ark of the Covenant was to all Israel, all the Jewish people that God brought out of Egypt and everywhere, the Ark of the Covenant was to them the presence of God. Where the Ark was, was where God was. Of course, you know that uh, in the tabernacle, there was the outer court where they offered sacrifices. There was the holy place where there, the priest ministered to the candlestick and the table of showbread and the altar of incense. But then there was the holy of holies. Nobody could go in there because you know what was in the holy of holies? The ark of the covenant, the presence of God. Above the ark was the mercy seat. And above the mercy seat were the cherubim. And there was the Shekinah glory of God. Dwelling right above the ark of the covenant. And everybody knew that where the ark was, that's where God was. Well, you remember when they got ready to finally, after years of disobedience and wandering in the wilderness... They decide, God said, all right, it's time to Joshua to go into the promised land. You know what God told Joshua? He said, all right, get the Levites to have the Ark of the Covenant on poles and on their shoulders. And you put them about maybe a half a mile in front of the Israelites. So as they get ready to cross Jordan, they'll all be able to see the Ark. They'll all be able to see it. So they got ready at it was at flood time to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. The walls of Jericho would fall, and they would now be in the land that God had promised Abraham. And so they started marching toward the Jordan, and they all could see the ark out there in front of them. And as the ark, as the priest with the ark stepped their feet in the water, the waters opened, and they carried the ark right into the middle of the Jordan. And about three million Israelites, or how many more? I've lost count. <laughs> well, about a lot, lot, of, lot of Israelites 
crossed over the Jordan. And the ark stayed right in the middle of the Jordan till they all got on the other side. And then the ark went on to the other side because I'm going to tell you something. They said, listen, we're okay. God is here. We got the presence of God with us because wherever the ark was, they were aware that God was in their midst. But you know, one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible is when the ark was captured by the Philistines. As I read it this week and studied about how the Philistine captured the ark of God, I said, man, this, this, this could be made into the, one of the most dramatic movies anybody had ever seen because you talk about drama, you talk about things that happened around the ark when it was captured by the enemies of God, the Philistines. It was just unbelievable, all that happened. If you got your Bible, you might want to turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And we see here that Israel has gone to battle with the Philistines, okay? And they lost the first part of the battle. And so they decided, well, listen, they've already killed 4,000 of us. Let's go, now listen to what, let's go get the ark of God. And let's bring it into our camp. And when we get the ark of God here and the presence of God here, certainly we will have the victory. And so we read there in 1 Samuel, verse 4 through 7, or the first part, it says here. But let's just start reading in verse, uh, verse 3. It's on the screen. And then when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring up the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh to us. And when it comes among us, the Ark, God's presence, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring up from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now look what happened when they brought the ark into the camp. And when the ark of the covenant came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, in verse 6 they said, What does the sound of, of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. And look at verse 7. See, they knew that the ark of God was the presence of God. And so the Philist in verse 7, the Philistines were afraid and they said, God has come into the camp. They didn't say the ark had come into the camp. The Philistine says, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hand of this, this mighty God? But you know, they said in verse 9, we've got to be strong. We've got to go into battle anyway. Probably going to get defeated. But you read down in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 4. The Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell 
of Israel, 30,000 foot soldiers. Now get this. And the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophia, Hophi, Hophni, and Phinehas died. Now folks, this, this was a tragedy. The ark of God was now in the hand of Israel's enemies. And the two priests, Eli's sons, both died. Well, they ran back in verse 17. One, a messenger ran back to tell Eli, who was the priest, the high priest, that the ark had been captured. And it says in verse 17, so that Eli asked him, what's happened? This Eli asked him, well, what happened? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's been a great slaughter among the people. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then when it happened, when he made mention of the ark of God, Eli, Eli fell back, fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate. And his neck was broken. And he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had joined and he had judged Israel for forty years. So both of Eli's sons died. Now Eli, the priest, was dead. Well, Phineas's wife was expecting a child, and they told her she got word that her husband Phineas had been killed, and that the ark of God had been captured by the Philistines. And so she goes into labor, and she goes into labor, and she dies in childbirth. But look what happens in verse 20. About the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. She did not answer, nor did she regard it. Now listen to this. She named the child Ichabod. How many children you know named Ichabod? I, I read a story in, in literature about Ichabod Crane. That's the only person I've ever known. That was a fiction called Ichabod. You know why? You know what that means? Then she named the child Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel. God's glory has departed from Israel because the ark of the God has been captured and because her father-in-law because of her father-in-law and her husband and she said right before she died the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured what a tragedy God's people Chosen by God, protected by God, led by God. Now, the ark of God is in the hands of the Philistines, and the glory of God has departed from the people of God. Well, it really gets interesting because, you know, they didn't know what to do with the ark. That Philistines didn't, they didn't know how to deal with the living God. And so, you, you know what, uh, what happened. Over in, uh, you turn over to, um, in, over to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 5, 
verses 2 and 4. I want you to listen um, what happened when they got the ark of God over there. The first place they took the ark of God was to Ashdod. That was a Philistine city. Well, <laughs> and they took it into the temple of their God, who was called Dagon. So here they go. Here's Dagon, the God they all worship. And they bring in the ark of God. And guess what happens? Let me read it to you. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it to the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon falling on its face to the earth before the ark of God. <laughs> the presence of God knocked that idol right off its seat. Well, it gets worse. They set him back up, you know. Well, then look what happened. That, and, and so they took Dagon and set it in its place again. Verse 3. And when they rose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of God. The head of Dagon and both of his palms of his hands were broken off. And the, uh, the threshold and only Dagon's torso was left. Wow. They walk in there and said, Lord, have mercy. Look what's happened. <laughs> his head's off. Hands are broke off. He's laying there in ruins. So you know what? They never went back in that temple again. They never went back again. Priests never went back again. The people never went back again. And they said, what in the world are we going to do with God? We've got God on our hands now. And what in the world are we going to do? They said, well, we're sure not going to keep him here. So they said, we'll send him somewhere else. They sent him over to Gath, G-A-T-H. And what happened there was that uh, they all got tumors. Broke out with tumors. Came all, all the people in Gath. And they said, well, Lord, we're not going to keep God here. I mean, we can't do this. So they sent them down to Ekron. And all of them got tumors. And, man, they said, we we got to get rid of God somehow. I mean, uh, he, he's just he's, he's too powerful. And so then they said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll send them. We're going to let them go where they want to go. We're going to let the ark go where God wants it to go. So we'll just do this. And let me tell you what they did. See, this is, I mean, I'm going to make a movie of this. What they did is they got two cows that had two new calves. And they got the ark of God and put it on this cart. And they took the calves from the cows and and. and and put them in a pen, and you know a cow is not going to leave its calf. It's going to go where its calf is. That's where it's going to do. And they said, well, if it doesn't go and it goes down the road uh, to Beth Shemesh, then we'll know that the ark's going where God wants it to go. So they put it on there, and they said, we better send some sacrifices with it too. And they, and they put gold and silver in a chest, and they put the ark on the cart, and they got those two cows that, and, and put the calves over here. Well, those two cows... Didn't even think about the cat. They took straight down the road and went right to Beth Shemesh. And they said, wow, it's good to get God off our hands. <laughs> well, the people in Beth Shemesh, they, they knew. So what they did, they took the ark off the cart and put it on a stone there. And uh, they killed the two cows. And they built a sacrifice. And they worshiped, you know, before the ark. But they made one mistake. You see, the ark of God is the presence of God. They opened up the ark and looked what was in it. They shouldn't have done that. 
And God got upset with them and he killed 50,000 of them. 50,000. They said, we can't handle this. We know where we're going to do it. We're going to send it to Kirjath-Jerim. That's where we're going to send it. So they called for the people of Kirjath-Jerim, and they came. These, these people obviously knew God and what the ark was. They came. They got the ark. And they took it back to Kirjath-Jerim, and it stayed in the house. They put it in the house of Abinadab, Abinadab and his son, ministered before the ark. Guess how long it stayed there? 20 years. 20 years. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It wasn't in the place of worship. God's presence and God's glory for 20 years was over in Kereth-Jerim. But the Israelites kept on worshiping God and having services just like God was there. But there was one problem. Ichabod was written over him. The glory of God had departed. So now I want to show you, you know, what is it like when you don't have the glory of God? What is it like when you don't have the presence of God? What is it like? What, what are you dealing with? And so I want you to turn over to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And we see what happened. The, the writer in Chronicles tells us about what was going on when the, when the ark was over in Kareth-Jerim for 20 years. And so 1 Chronicles chapter 13, it says here, it says, David says, you know, we're having, work, we're having services we're offering sacrifices. We're, we're, we're trying to worship God, but there's just one problem. God's nowhere around. He's nowhere around. The ark's over there in Kareth Jerim. And so David said, you know, this isn't right. I mean, 20 years of lifeless religion, 20 years of going through the motions, 20 years of offering sacrifices to the God whose glory had departed, David said, this isn't good. We've got to do something about it. And so we read in 1 Chronicles 13, Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and every leader. And David said to the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord, let us send out our brethren everywhere who are left in, who are left in, the, in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites, or in their cities and commons lands, that they may gather together to us. Now listen to this. This is a good beginning. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. David said, I am tired of lifeless religion. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of the emptiness when Ichabod is written over our place. Let's go and let's bring back the ark of God. And then he says something that is sad. He says, let us bring the ark of our God back to us for we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Now I want to talk to you about the days of Saul. 
You remember Israel said they wanted a king. Samuel said, you don't need a king. They said, we want a king. He said, now if you get a king, he's going to tax you to death and not going to take care of your children and you're going to suffer great at the hands of this king. And he warned them what would happen if they got a king. They said, we want a king. And so Samuel said, okay. And God showed him it was Saul. But you know, Saul, during his days, you know what? It didn't bother him that the ark of God wasn't there. He didn't even inquire about it. He never went to the priest and said, man, you know, it's lifeless religion around here. We, we need to go back. We need to go get the ark of God. Well, you know, we, I'm tired of Ichabod. The glory has departed. We need to go get the ark of God and bring it back so there can be some life, the life of God in us and the life of God in our worship. Man, Saul never even inquired about the ark of God. And there they were in the days of Saul with Ichabod written over Israel and Ichabod written over Jerusalem. The glory of God has departed. Do you reckon that we're living in the days of Saul? In American religion, do you reckon we're living in the days of Saul? Where God looks at the religion in this country that seems to be lifeless and powerless, that has forsaken, forsaken the word of God, are now determining what's right and wrong. And, 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 and you see how they say that they have no confidence, American religion, in the word of God. And they have no confidence that Jesus is the only way for a person to be saved. And they have no confidence to stand up for what is right for marriage and what is wrong for marriage. And, and, and you see what's going on. And, and, and we're still having church every Sunday. And uh, well, we we're still meeting every Sunday. And, and they're still singing songs. And, and they're still going through the motion. And, 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 and people go because that's what they're supposed to do. But by the way, less and less are going because you don't want to go when there's no life. You don't want to go when there's no glory. You don't want to do that. But you just go because that's culturally acceptable. Oh, they don't go up north. They don't go in Seattle and those places. Oh, they don't darken the church door. Why should they go? There's no life. The glory's departed. Ichabod's written over lifeless religion in America. And so I believe we're living in the days of Saul. I really believe we are. Let me ask you a question. How real is God to you? How real is Jesus to you? How, how real is the Spirit of God to you? Do you live each day with an awareness of the presence of God? Hey, listen, if, if you're living with an awareness of the presence of God, God is not on the fringe of your life. God is in the center of your life. If the glory of God is upon you and the glory of God is in your midst, it's not a matter of trying to work God into your schedule or trying to do something that you think would appease God. Oh no, everything changes when the glory comes back. Everything changes when the ark of God is in its rightful place. I am sad to say to you that my heart is broken because I believe that many, 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 many religious people are living in the days of Saul. And the glory 
has departed. And they weren't even concerned about it. Saul said, just keep on going to the temple. Just keep on singing the songs. Be sure and bring your offering. I mean, it was sad. It was sad. Folks, listen, don't, don't you live in the days of Saul. Don't you live without the glory of God in your life. I'm not talking about an emotion. I'm not talking about feel good. I'm not talking about goosebumps. I'm talking about that you know the presence of God in your life and the presence of God in your life affects what you say and affects what you do and affects how you live because you're not living in the land of Ichabod where the glory of God has departed. You're living in your life where the glory has returned. And you know what it is to live in the presence of God and how it affects everything you do. But it's encouraging. Let me show you the second thing. There was not only the days of Saul, but there was a desire of David. Boy, I love this. Chapter 13 of Chronicles 3 and 4 David, a man after God's own heart, said, let's go get the ark and let's bring back the glory of God. Hallelujah. Let's go and bring back the glory of God. And so, man, he went. He got all the people and they got, there were thousands of them. And they went to Kareth-Jerim and they got the ark. In verse 6 of chapter 13, it says, and David and all Israel went up to Balah to Kerjath, Kerjath, Jerim, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God who dwells between the cherubim, and his name is proclaimed. But now look what happened. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadam, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. So now you know how they were supposed to bring it back? God had made it clear. The Ark of the Covenant always is carried on poles on the shoulders of the Levites. When they crossed the Jordan, the Levites who had been sanctified and set apart to carry the Ark, they had the, the, there, were, there were the poles and the Ark was hooked up to the poles and those Levites had it on their shoulders and they carried it on the poles right into the middle of Jordan and then they carried it on over into the Promised Land. The God said, now the way you carry the ark, the way you bring the ark to where it's supposed to be is on the shoulders of the Levites. Well, I don't know what David was thinking about, but they said, you know, it'd be a lot easier than getting all the Levites to get right with God and get all fixed up. It'd be a lot easier just to put it on a cart, a new cart, and let's just pull it down to up to Jerusalem on a new cart. Well, when you don't do it God's way, you got death. Look what happened. And so they started, look in verse 15, look in chapter 13. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Benadab and Uzzah and a hill. Now look what they were doing. They were, they were worshiping God. Now they were disobeying God because they had it on a cart, but they were still worshiping God. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might. In verse 8, singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, 
and with trumpets. Man, they, they were absolutely having a parade like you had never seen in your life. And they were just rejoicing that they were bringing the glory of God back to Jerusalem. Read on. But when they came to Shadon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumble. They were coming across the threshing floor and the oxen stumbled and the ark was going to fall off the cart. And Uzzah took his hand and put it to the cart. The ang- and, says, and when they came to the threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumble. Verse 10, then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him because he's put his hand on the ark and he died there before God. You know, if they'd been carrying the ark on the, on the shoulders of the Levites, as God had told them to do, then they, 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 this would have never happened. But because they were not doing it God's way, death came. And it was, he said, I can't let the ark of God hit the ground. And he touched it and God killed him on the spot. Well, boy, that got David's attention. More David got upset. Look, verse 11. David got angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Verse 12. David was afraid of God that day, saying, well, here I am trying to bring the ark back, and God's already killed Uzzah. He said, said, David would not, he said, David was afraid of God. How can I bring the ark of God to me? And David would not move the ark with him to the city of David. He said, I'm not going to take it to Jerusalem. Listen, I don't understand God's anger, and I don't understand why God did that. And I'm just telling you, I'm finished with it. And for three months, it stayed behind. David, in verse 13, would not move the ark with the city of David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained there with the family of Obed-Edom for three months. Well, don't you know, David said, what went wrong? Now, we had the right desire. That was to bring back the glory. We had the right desire. But what went wrong? Why, Why did God kill Uzzah? I mean, what, what, what's the problem? Our heart's desire was to bring back the glory. But God just absolutely intervened. And then David realized, oh, I know. We had the right desire, but we had the wrong plan. We chose to do it. Now, you stay with me. We chose to do it our way instead of doing it God's way. And David got to study in the word and he said, you always carry the, uh, the ark on the poles on the shoulders of the Levites. And if you don't do it that way, you do not have God's favor and you will not have God's blessing and you won't get the ark where it's supposed to go. See, David had the right desire. He wanted the glory of God back. But he had the wrong plan. And it produced death. I'm going to tell you something. You know the problem today? A lot of people say, well, you know, 
We need to have the glory of God back in the church. We need to have the glory of God back in our lives. We, we, we need the glory of God. But you know what? We got our own way of doing it. So we're going to get some new cards. We'll get some new cards. And we'll bring back the glory of God on these new cards. That's exactly what. So we'll just pick our own cards. You know, and, and, and I've thought about it. It is so tragic. All I know really much about is the American religious scene. I've been overseas a few times, and I know the commitment and surrender of these people over there because their life is always on the line and how you don't become a Christian over there because you don't become religious over there because it's popular and you don't get baptized because it's popular because if you do it, you're going to get killed. I mean, the Muslims and the Hindus and the ISIS, they'll cut your head off. So, you know, it costs people something over there. It does. Uh, I know Herb teaches over there. And, and before they all leave, the 50 preachers or so t- take the martyr's vow that if it costs them their life, they'll preach the gospel. But, you know, in America, we say, we're going to bring it back. But, boy, we're going to get it with new cards. And let me tell you something. I want you to listen to me very carefully. American religion has, has, has confused a crowd with the glory of God. Listen, you can have a crowd and the glory of God will be a million miles away. Well, that must be God over there. Look how many people they got. Hey, you can draw a crowd to anything. You can draw a crowd to a funeral. You can draw a crowd to the Hangout Festival in Orange Beach. You can draw a crowd when Kenny Chesney goes to the Florabama. What has that got to do with God? But oh, we've got enamored with crowds. And listen, what we've got to do is we've got to have crowds. And if we have crowds, we've got God. What a joke. Jesus was so bold in his preaching and his living that they all began to leave him. And he looked at his disciples and said, are y'all also going to go away? Are y'all going to leave too? I thought of some of the cards that we use today. We got the personality card. American likes to, Americans like to look to man to exalt some personality, you know. And, and it becomes man-centered. And that boy, well, boy, I like him. Hey, you know, you, you don't bring back the presence of God by looking to a man. You don't do that. You look to God. You don't look to a man. And then, you know, this is the saddest thing. And I'm telling y'all, y'all think I'm, I'm negative. I am negative. But anyway, y'all think I am. But I'm, I'm just telling y'all the truth now. Before God, I answer to God for this. But I know it's the truth. I know it's the truth. We say, well, what we've got to do is we've got to create an atmosphere that people will want to come. We've got to create an atmosphere. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll get psychedelic lights. And they'll come, and boy, we'll have the lights changing, you know, and go from red to green to blue to yellow. We'll just have the psychedelic. And I'll tell you what else we'll do. Man, we'll get some red-hot music. Man, we'll, get, we'll make Kiss look like they were out of date, boy. We, we'll have rock and roll like you ain't ever seen in your life. Man, we will jive it up. And I'll tell you what else we'll do. We'll get us some smoke machines. Smoke machines. 
And we'll just put some smoke up there. And boy, they'll say, my, isn't this awesome? Look at the lighting. And, and man, I love this music. It makes me think I'm in a nightclub. And, 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 and look, at the, the, man, look at the atmosphere. There's the smoke. You know why we have to create smoke? Because we hadn't got God's smoke. And I'm telling you, we've gone down the road that we've got to create an atmosphere. And if we can create an atmosphere, it will draw a crowd, but it will not bring back the glory of God. It will not. It makes God sick. But Brother Fred, they got a crowd. They got one to hang out too. See, we got the card of personality. We got the card of creating an atmosphere. We got the card of, hey, we're going to have a seeker-friendly church. We're not going to say anything that offends anybody. We're not going to say it's a sin to lie. We're not going to say it's a sin to get drunk. We're not going to say it's a sin to live together and not be married. We're not going to say it's a sin, uh, uh, you know, just to live just like the world and act like the world. No, we don't want to offend people. Let me ask you a question. The gospel is offensive. It says you are a sinner. And unless you come to Jesus and are forgiven of your sins, you will die and go to a Christless eternity. So a person can't get saved till they know they're lost. But we don't want them to know they're lost. We don't want to offend them. What are you going to offend them to? Hell number two? It's called a seeker-friendly gospel. They say, we're not going to sing about the blood of Jesus. That's offensive to them. We're not going to keep talking about the cross and dying to yourself because they don't want to die to themselves. They want to live for themselves. Hey, they're going to church not to please God. They're going to church to please themselves. We got all kind of new cards, y'all. But all it's doing is drawing a crowd, drawing a crowd, drawing a crowd. I've had people say to me, Brother Fred, you, you know, you, 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 at your age, you, you know, you, you can't grow a church with, unless you've got rock music, and psychedelic lights, and smoke. I said, then bless God, we won't grow one. Because I'm going to tell you something. God isn't attracted by the atmosphere. God's attracted by people who won't live without him. They won't live without him. So David had the right desire, but he had the wrong method. And remember this, new carts only produce death. They only produce death. There was a, a, a man, a minister outside of Chicago that he had thousands that he not only had come into his church, but influenced thousands of others and other preachers. You know what he said about three years ago? We found out that all our people were coming, didn't know anything about the Bible. They didn't really know anything about God. And we realized that we had completely failed, completely failed in giving them a foundation on which to build their lives. Well, I said, I'm glad he repented of that and saw it, but that's about 50,000 people later. He found out that the new cart didn't produce life. 
it produced death. But let's move on. You say, well, thank God. There was a day, there was a desire, days of Saul, they didn't even care about God's glory. There's a desire of David, let's bring back the glory. Let's bring back the ark. But there was the right desire, but the wrong method. Now I want to tell you, well, how do you bring back the glory? Man, how do you, how do you, how do you get the ark back? How do you get the ark back in your heart where God's real? Where God's real to you. He's not somebody you just heard about. It's not somebody you tip your hat to 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. How do you get the ark back? How do you get it in your heart? How does God become the center of your life? Instead of the fringe of your life. How do you do that? Well, I'll tell you. You've got to do it God's way. You can buy all the new carts you want. You can have big crowds. But I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in people being changed. I'm interested in people living a holy life. I'm interested in people being in love with Jesus. I'm interested in people who not only love Jesus, but love people. I'm interested in people who, who whose sole purpose is that I might glorify him. I, 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 this is what God wants. Paul said, I, my prayer is that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul had got the ark back. He said, oh, I want Jesus to be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Well, I want you to look at chapter 15, verse 1. Look what David did. He prepared a place for the ark. Hallelujah. First Chronicles 15, verse 1. He said, all right, we're going to do it right this time. We're going to do it right. We're going to bring it back on the shoulders of the Levites. So first thing he did was prepare a place. All right, verse 15 of First Chronicles 15. David built houses for himself in the city of David. Listen to this. And he prepared a place for the ark of God. Oh, Lord, let my heart be a place prepared for the ark of God. Oh, God, let the hearts of everybody in this congregation, let our hearts be prepared as a place for the presence and the glory of God. Oh, listen. God wants to prepare your heart. And David prepared a place for the ark of God. He pitched a tent for the ark to go in. Then then this is what he said. So he prepared a place. He said, now, buddy, we're going to do it God's way this time. There ain't going to be no carts. This is what he said. Look at verse 2. Then David said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for God has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And he goes on down there and, and, and says to the Levites, now listen to what he says to them so they can carry the ark back. He says in verse 12, 
You are the heads of your father's houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves. Get yourselves prepared spiritually to carry the ark. Get yourself prepared spiritually. Sanctify yourselves and your brethren that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. You know what he said? You know why we didn't get it the first time? We didn't listen to God. We didn't do it the way God said to do it. And he broke out of us because, uh, against us because we did not do it his way. And this time, we're going to do it God's way. He said, sanctify yourself. And they did. And they brought the ark back. Over in verse 23. David, the elders of Israel, and the captains over thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And so it was when God helped the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant that the Lord that they offered seven bulls and seven rams. Boy, they were having a time. Now, this was a good parade. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen. He had on white, fine linen. And, and, and as were all the Levites who bore the Ark, the singers uh, and I can't tell that Chaniah, the music man. Oh, that was a music director um, with singers. And David also wore a, a linen ephod. Then thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn and the trumpets and with the cymbals making music and with stringed instruments and harps. And it happened as the ark of the covenant came into the city that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window. I didn't, there you go. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant came to the city of David that Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David whirling and playing music. He was dancing. And she despised him in her heart. The flesh always despises the real thing. Michael's daughter said, David's making a fool out of himself. What's he so excited about? I'm telling you what he was excited about. He was tired of living without the glory of God, and now the glory of God was back, and he couldn't contain himself. If I have to beg you to come to church, friend, something's missing, you ought to come and say, I'm going to dance my way to church today, glory to God, because I'm going to get in the presence of the glory of God. Woo! David just was so excited. They were blowing the trumpets because the ark was back and the glory of God was back. Now their worship services would mean something and their lives would be changed because they couldn't be the same in the presence of God. The fear of God was upon them. Now how do we bring back the glory of God in our own lives, in our own church? There's no, the, the God's already told us how. And I'm on... It's, it, this won't take a long time, but it's very important. You listen. This is how you bring the glory back into your life and into our church and into wherever we go. There's the glory of God. There's the ark, the presence of God. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Okay, the, the first thing we got to do is humble ourselves and say, now, Lord, we have no desire to live our life 
without you. Lord, we're not going to be ruled by covetousness. We're not going to be ruled by that. Greed, covetousness is idolatry. In other words, we're consumed by things. Things control our life. And the more things we get, the more successful we are. Things are not wrong in themselves, but they can produce death if that's the center of your life. And so we humble ourselves and say, God, we need you. We need you. We're not self-sufficient. We need you. We're not self-sufficient. We can't do it ourselves. In our flesh dwells no good thing. So you humble yourself and acknowledge how desperately you need God. You can't live the Christian life without him. You can't love your neighbor without him. You can't overcome pornography without him. You can't be pure without him. You can't, lo- you can't uh, have a forgiving spirit without him. Lord, Lord, listen. Listen, Lord. I, we need you. We need you. We need you. We humble ourselves. You say, well, Brother Fred, Luke 4.18 is doing good. If you think that, we're in trouble. We need God. We need the glory of God in this place. We do. You say, I love this church. I do too. But I'm telling you, there's much more that God has for us than we're experiencing. He wants people to come through these doors and say, my Lord, what's different in this place? Oh, it's just the glory of God. Because we need him. We won't live without him. We're not satisfied to just go through the motions and the ark be over in Kareth Jerim. So we have to humble ourselves. And then we got to pray. We've got to humble ourselves. If my people will call by my name, we'll humble themselves and pray. Now listen to the next thing. We got to seek God's face. Quit seeking God's hand. Start seeking God's face. If you get God's face, you get what's in his hand. So many people say, I want to seek the hand of God. I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. I understand that, and God knows you need it. But tell you what God wants you to do. Listen, if the only reason you ever loved your wife because, was because, or spoke to your wife was because, I want you to give me something, give me something, give me something. What, she says, well, does all you want is what I can give you. Why don't you want me? And if we just kept saying, God, give me this, give me this, give me, God says, well, what about me? Why don't you want me? If you have me, you have everything. If you have me, you have everything. Man, we don't need to seek his hand. Oh, dear God, we need to seek his face. Lord, it says that great blessing, Lord, let your face shine upon us. Cause your face to shine upon us, oh God. How do you bring the glory back? You humble yourself, you pray, and you seek God with your whole heart. I mean the passion of your life is to know God and to love God and to know Jesus and love Jesus. But then you turn from your wicked ways. Now listen, this is a wicked world. And I'm telling you, wickedness is everywhere. You can see it. You can smell it, you can touch it, you can taste it. I mean, it's everywhere. So we have to be spiritually minded. Are you listening to me? We have to be spiritually minded. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we have to turn from our wicked ways. We have to stop watching things that are ungodly. We need to stop listening to things that are unholy. 
We just need to stop doing things that we could not sign Jesus' name to. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus. Now, Brother Fred, I don't like this idea there's some things I can do and some things I can't do. I mean, that's the law. No, no, I'm just going to say this to you. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If God says it's right, it's right. If you don't know if it's a gray area, you just ask God and he'll show you. And if he says it's okay, go ahead. But if he says it's not okay, don't you disobey God because the glory will depart. You've got to turn from our wicked ways. Turn from our wicked ways. If the church gets holy, if, if we become a holy church, I mean a church that is separated from the world, we don't act like the world, talk like the world, live like the world, and let the world fit us in its mold. I'm telling you, all the demons of hell cannot stop the glory of God from coming in this place. A holy people attract the presence of God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. The glory will come back. The glory. The ark will be in its rightful place. We prepared a place for it. I will hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And heal their land. Which is your heart. And which is this church. And which is. We can restore the fear of God. To a nation. Man, we got to bring back the glory. I know God's here. I know God hasn't left you. If you're saved, Jesus lives in you. I know that. But I'm talking about you knowing the glory of God in your life. And you living in the glory of God in your life. And that it is the presence of God that controls who you are and what you do. It's called Jesus in you, the hope of glory. It's Jesus in you. You know... I've come to this conclusion. I can't make too many long-range plans at 77. <laughs> I don't even buy green bananas. <laughs> but let me say this to you. Some of you are living like you've got plenty of time. You just live, well, I'll take care of that later, Brother Fred. I know I need a closer walk with Jesus. I need, I know the ark back in my heart and life in a greater way. I know how desperately I need, and I got plenty of time. Let me tell you something. Just don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do like, I think it was Felix said, I had a more convenient time, Lord. I'll bring back the ark. Don't be like the days of Saul. Saul, you know, died. Don't be like that. Don't be content to live without the ark of God. You just don't know. I'm telling you, you do not know. So what I'm saying to you is you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready. If you're 15, you've got to be ready. If you're 40, you've got to be ready. If you're 60, you've got to be ready. If you're 70, you better be ready. And if you're 80, call me and we'll talk about it. 
Listen, you got to be ready. 